Today I've called this the Father I know. The Father that I know. Not my physical Father, but the, my Heavenly Father. And there's so many things you could say. You know, there's, like, We could be here for hours and hours, days and days, weeks for weeks on just this very topic because you know, he's so powerful. He's everywhere. The Bible says he's omnipresent, which means he's just everywhere at once. He's outside of time. He's the creator. He's my Lord. He's my saviour. He's my friend. He's my king. He's my groom. There's just so many elements. When you try and describe him, in fact, he's really it's a bit of a paradox. He's indescribable. He's fully knowable, and then he's not knowable at all. He's a little bit like a woman. <laughs> hey, guys. So I can get away with this today because not only is it Father's Day, but it's my birthday. So I'm just going to stretch this out of it. But I really do believe that. I, I don't miss that one. I believe that God is like a woman. Danielle, and you know, fully. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a compliment, isn't it? It's a compliment. It ain't a negative. It's, it's a compliment. I mean, Danielle is fully knowable on one hand, you know, and we're getting to, we've been married almost for 10 years and I know her, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm still discovering new things about her. She's this mystery, this incredible, beautiful mystery that God has, has given me as a gift that I am to unpack and discover more and more as we go. And, and that's what the Father's like. You know, we think we know him and all of a sudden then he, he does a, he, he does, throws us a curveball and we're like, whoa, who are you? The disciples were always saying, who is this guy? We see him speak to wind and waves and they can't. Who is he? Anyone know who he is? And you know, We see him. Nobody really wanted to ask that question either. You know, I was like, no, you ask him. No, no, you ask him. Who is he? And, um, I want to share this funny joke if I can in relation to God being a little bit like a woman. Is that all right? The men will enjoy this. The women will all go, Amen. <laughs> Recently, a husband's shopping centre opened in Tauranga <laughs> where women could go to choose a husband from among many men. It was laid out. Look, all the women are going, is this for real? <laughs> it was laid out on five floors with the men increasing in positive attributes as you ascended up the floors. The only rule was once you open the door to any floor, you must choose a man from that floor. And if you went up a floor, you couldn't go back down except to leave the place never to return. A couple of girlfriends go to the place to find men. First floor, the door had a sign saying, these men have jobs and love kids. The women read the sign and say, well, that's better than not having jobs or not loving kids, but I wonder what's further up. So they go. Second floor says, these men have higher, have high paying jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Extremely good looking. Hmm, says the girls. But I wonder what's further up. Third floor. These men have high paying jobs, are extremely good looking, love kids, and help with the housework. Whoa, say the women. Very tempting. But there's more further up. And so they go. The first, fourth floor. These men have high-paying jobs, love kids, are extremely good-looking, help with the housework and have a strong romantic streak and will talk about any issue. <laughs> Do they sound like men at the rock, ladies? <laughs> oh, mercy me! 
But just think what must be waiting for us further up. So up to the fifth floor they go. The sign on that door said, this floor is empty and exists only to prove that women are impossible to please. (laughs) Goodbye and never come back. (laughs) Oh, I love it, eh? (laughs) One up for the boys. No stone. The public stoning will be at one o'clock this afternoon outside. (laughs) But getting to know the fathers on one aspect is no different to getting to know a person. The same attributes, we've got to spend time. We've got to hang out. We've got to ask questions. We've got to be able to listen. And and God wants to speak back to us. And what I've, I guess, come to discover along this way and personally in my own journey when you talk to people is that there's a wide, a very wide perspective on God the Father. You know, you talk to non-Christian people and sometimes they'll have a perspective. You talk to Christians and, and they have a perspective as well from depending on people's experiences and their backgrounds and our influences growing up, cultures, worldviews, belief systems, mindsets. There's just this incredible array of who the Father is. And I want us to watch as a clip. And I've just taken a clip off YouTube just where the interview has gone out and he's asked, this very question, who is God? Who is God the Father? Have a listen to some of these answers. Everyone's got an opinion about everything. Today we're hitting the streets of Foster, finding out what people think. This is the word on the street. What do you reckon God's like? A uh, good and caring person who cares for everyone and everything. I wouldn't have a clue. I'm not old enough to uh, not have known him. Oh, pretty cool. I don't know. What do, you, what do you think God's like? I don't think God is actually one single person in my head. I think... I believe the world has to believe in something. I think when, when there's really bad times, people have to actually, and I think the worst people in the world always go turn to God at some stage because that's something they know is always there for them. Um, you know, I know, I know I don't practice going to church, but I do talk to God in my head. Lots of times my children haven't been raised in Catholic schools, but my daughter says that she talks to God in her head, so there has to be something in our raising that's caused that. Well, I think worldwide God is many things to many people. Um, And I think it's more of a a feeling than an actual uh, entity. And what do you think that God is like? Um, probably a spirit, just a spirit. It's just a belief. So, um, yeah, and it gives you something to believe in when things get tough. So, yes, I do believe that he is there somewhere with us all the time. I don't really know he's everything, so, yeah. A friend, a sort of, a sort of spiritual peacefulness, I would say. Just like a, um, yeah, a support, a, a protection, a, um, yeah, just, I don't know, just kind of, I, yeah, I <laughs> can't really kind of put it into words. I think, I can't really put it into words, it's more of a feeling, I would say. I think God is an understanding and forgiving God. 
he must be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, look, look what he's given us so far. Well, I believe he put all this here, like, he didn't put the truck in the car here, but he put the person that invented it and gave them something, gifts, and from that, everything else just comes along. And, uh, yeah, I believe he is, like, watching over everyone, not just one person, not just these kind of people, or these kind of people, everyone. Yeah. What do you think God is like? I think that's just one of those things we're going to have to wait and see. That's, I, I have no idea. Well, in our religion, we don't know. We just read our um, Saka Bible, it's called the Quran. That's what we believe in. But we don't know, like... Like, we don't have statues and stuff. We just believe in our faith and our religion. Do you have any ideas on what God might be like? Um, I don't know. Not really. I have no idea. Caring? Probably, um, like, I don't know. I think he'd just try and look out for people. Help them. Yeah. I don't know, just that part of the brain where we can always, like, we can all turn to just to talk to ourselves or something, or, you know, just where a bit of an epiphany comes from, kind of thing. Know, some people put, like, a full human thing with God, but I don't know, never met God or anything, so can't say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. Wonder how we'd answer. You know, if someone came up to you on the street and threw a microphone in your face and said, "Who's God?" How would you describe in your own words who God is, who the Father is? Because there's such a, a variety of answers there, wasn't there? From basically, I do not know, I don't have a clue, to maybe it doesn't really mean anything. <clears throat> I think what was incredibly sad, to be honest, was the lady, the Muslim lady there who said, I don't really know, I have this religion, but I don't really know, even though, I don't even know the person, I just worship this, 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 I don't really know what I worship, is what I heard. And I think we need to, as followers of Jesus, you know, we need to be able to answer that question passionately, boldly, from a sense of genuine authenticity. Because why? Because we know them. We actually know them. Because the people you know, you can easily communicate, can't you, who they are when you know them. And you know, As God's people, we can struggle to have an accurate picture of God the Father because of the filters with which we all look through. And so our own mindsets or perspectives can be inaccurate and what this does it restricts us as his children it restricts the life that we lead it it restricts the love in which we can receive the love in which we can give out of our own perspective or the filters that we look through or hear through are distorted or have been messed with then our lifestyles or our, our choices can reflect those things And so it's the Father, I know, the Father that that the Bible says God is. And, you know, as a natural Father, I'm starting to realise more and more the importance of 
modeling to Danielle, Madeline and Lily what a healthy relationship with God the Father looks like the best I can, which in turn creates a healthy view of God in their eyes. That's why Romans 12 verses 2 says, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed as this thing called the mind is re-altered. It's realigned, it's redefined, it's transformed through the Spirit of God. We have to be on that process of, of that happening. The Bible says, repent, change the way you think. Turn, change the way you think and turn to the Father and start discovering the truth about the Father, not maybe how you perceive the Father from the filters that you have on. Because I love what Jesus says to Peter. Just after Peter gets the revelation that he is the Christ. In Matthew sixteen eighteen, you know, Jesus says, you are the Christ. And Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ. Christ says, this did not come to you by flesh and blood. And then we just read on a few passages more, then Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm going to be killed. And Peter then actually rebukes Jesus and he says, no, you're not. And he comes, I imagine, quite aggressively at him. No, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you have the mind of man, not of God. You see, a wrong filter, a wrong perspective could have you thinking like a human being, like man, not as God wants us to think. Now, we are all humans, obviously, but you know what? If we have chosen to follow Christ, we have God on the inside of us. We are supernaturally natural. That's Andrew Ward's. I love it. Supernaturally natural. And so we have to think and see and hear like supernatural people that have God's perspective on things. Otherwise, our human filters can block who the Father truly is. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Which can influence the way we live. It'll influence your identity. It'll influence your security of who you are as a person. It'll reflect on coming into the full sonship of who God is, understanding your sonship in Him. It'll reflect how you pray. It'll reflect so many things. And so... I guess with all these different mindsets and filters and imperfections that we have as people, because we all have this iniquity, this nature in us, how on earth do we discover who the Father truly is? What do we do? My first point today is we need to look at the Son, or look to the Son. S-O-N, not S-U-N. We don't look into the, to the galaxies and try and figure it out through horoscopes. No, we look to the Son. So come with me to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, verses 3. Everyone say the person beside you, we look to Jesus to discover who the Father is. All right, give me a yell and we're there. Hebrews 1, verses 3. Everyone there roughly? Towards the back of the book, if you're looking says this, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, God's nature, okay? And upholds all things by the word of his power. It's beautiful. And he is the radiance. 
So Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. If you want to know who the Father is, look to the Son. That's why he was sent. He was sent to reveal the nature of his Father. Why? Because he was tangible. He was with us. He walked this planet. You could touch him, literally touch him. You could eat with him. The disciples ate with him. They walked with him. They lived with this man called Jesus who was the exact representation of his Father. It's a beautiful thing. We look to the Christ. He came to reveal the nature of his Father. And next week we're going to look at, I'm going to go deeper into John 14 verse 7, but I'm going to read this to you now. And just listen to these words. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. If you would have known me, you would know the one who sent me. You would know my Father. From now on, he says, you know me and have seen him. If you've seen me, you have seen my Father. You see the works that I do, it's the works of my Father. And it's fascinating when I went on and I couldn't find a, a decent enough clip, but you know, when you ask people who Jesus was, the answers are very different that people give you compared to who God was. When you, as you saw there, who is God? The people are, oh, well, I don't really sort of know. I, I don't, oh yeah, he's this. And there was a few, obviously, Christian people there that, that could articulate who he was. But when I went on and looked at who Jesus was, the answers were, he was a good guy. He was a teacher. People could actually articulate who the Christ was. If you want to know who the Father is, look to the Son. And we can read about the Son and the Father here. You see, so often we can read this book purely as a theological exercise to make sure that our theology is accurate. Nothing wrong with that, but do we read the book to discover who the Father is, who the Son is? Do we read this book as a love relationship to us to discover the person, not just theology? Because this is a book about a person before it's about anything else. The person of Jesus Christ. Yeah? Awesome. goes on. Jesus says also in verse 8, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Next week we're going to look at Philip's response and it relates back to Peter as well. The struggle I had to fully comprehend why although Jesus was in front of them, they were struggling to capture who he was. Who is this guy? We eat with him every day, but do we fully know who he is? Because Philip's response in his passage is quite mind-blowing. He says, he hears those words and then he says, if you show us the Father, we'll know who he is. <laughs> Jesus just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because his mind was on a process of being transformed and renewed by revelation. How do you stand in front of someone and they tell you who they are and then you revert back to them saying, who are you? There's something quite not there. Right, there was a filter that needed to be lifted for him to fully see. And we're going to hit that next week when we look at the third part of this message of 
How do I position myself to receive a greater understanding of who the Father is, a depth that comes via revelation? So what is the nature of the Son who represents the Father? The Father that I know, number one, is he was a lover of people. He was an absolute lover of people. Just going to touch on two things. He was a lover of people and he was a restorer of people. You see, when we read the Gospels, very rarely do we find Jesus in religious temples. He's in and amongst them, but you know where he spent most of his time? In people's homes, on mountainsides, with people that wouldn't make the Hollywood A-list. Look, he's hanging out with those sinners. He's hanging out with those disgusting people. He's hanging out with those prostitutes, those tax collectors. My goodness, what's he doing? Have you seen him? He cannot be the Christ. He cannot be the Messiah because look at the people he's hanging with. He doesn't dress like us. He doesn't speak like us. He blasphemes. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was from and he knew who had sent him and he knew his mission. He was with ordinary Humble people who knew they needed saving. Who knew that they needed, they had something in their nature that needed to be redeemed. You see, life's not about being happy, it's about receiving forgiveness. It's not about happiness, it's about forgiveness. And these people knew that. You see him hanging out with a guy called Zacchaeus. He was a little man, the Bible says. He loved money. He was a chief tax collector. He ripped people off so he could build his own empire. And Jesus is walking down the road one day and Zacchaeus wants to see him so he goes up a figamore tree, looks over, Jesus spots him and says, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm coming to your house tonight. And in an encounter like that, a man has changed. He goes from being this tight-fisted, tax collector, chief tax collector to a man that says I'm going to give half of my wealth away and if I, have, if I have robbed anyone else I will pay back four times the amount in which I have ripped them off why? because he met the Father, he met the Christ one day in an encounter he had this incredible revelation of love love, love, love Jesus was a lover of people, he's a lover of you and me. If I can say this, he's the ultimate lover. Why? Because his love is only one-sided. It's unconditional. It's unconditional and it keeps coming and coming and coming and coming until we allow every barrier that we put up to be knocked down, 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 down by this incredible love. Mary Magdalene there's some thought that she was a prostitute. Picture this. You are the Messiah. You are pure. You have never sinned. You are white, beautiful. You've come from an eternal realm that is just indescribable. The peace, the joy, the glory, the worship. You sit at the right hand of your father. You're with him. You've been with him at the time. You've, you've spoken in creation. And you leave that place and enter into a hole called earth. And you walk with a lady 
of the night. And you feel the pressure and the weight and the persecution of a religious system because you love people and you have a message for the people. He was incredible. God the Father is incredible. And it's very hard to try and articulate his love to you because you have to experience it. He goes to Matthew's house. Who Matthew's house was a tax collector. The Bible says there were many collectors, sorry, tax collectors and sinners there. The Bible teaches us the Father is love. He is the source of love. His love is one-sided, relentless, transforming, compelling. It never gives up. It's long-suffering. His love is sacrificial. There's a beautiful picture. We haven't got time to go this morning of 1 Kings 3, 16, 27. 1 Kings 3, 16 to 27. Go and read that in your own time. But it's a picture about two women that come before King Solomon who have babies born at the same time. And one lies on her baby and kills the baby at night and then tries to act like the baby that's alive is her baby. And they come before Solomon who's going to rule over the situation. And you see the mother, who really is the mother of the alive baby, give up her baby and say, and give it to the other woman because there's going to be a judgment where they're going to kill the baby. She says, no, this woman can have my baby. And you see this other woman talk about splitting the baby in half and Solomon makes his judgment. He says, you are the mother because of the sacrificial love that I'm looking at right in front of me. The love of the father is sacrificial. Hence he sent us his son, Jesus. And the son is the exact representation of the father. If you want to know who the father is, look to the son. And this son is a lover of people. He's incredible lover of people. The second thing, he's a restorer of people. He's a restorer of people. He doesn't just come to save our spirit, he comes to save our spirit, our soul and our body. He comes to redeem the father, the whole person, doesn't he? Whether that's physical healing mental, emotional, spiritual. He comes to redeem. And I had an incredible moment on Wednesday. I was flying up to Auckland and I was having my every two and a half month meeting with uh, the guys up there and Martin and Tark and James, some of the guys that you've seen here. And um, if you don't know, I had my knee operated on six weeks ago now and it's still healing and I've had prayer for healing for it and it's coming along nicely, but... I'm on this Jetstar plane and I'm flying Jetstar every time now because of this experience. So I'm on this Jetstar plane, I'm, I don't know, row 17 and I don't know what they've done. I reckon they've whacked in some more seats because it's flaming terrible. It's like, you know, where I used to have about an inch room, I've now got none and my knees are pushing into the other guy's back, you know. Anyway, so I'm there and I've been in the flight about 15 minutes or so and the air hostess comes down the aisle and she sort of has to look down and see what's going on with my, you know, with, with the, my room and... And she just leans and whispers, she said, oh, there's a spare seat down the front if you'd like to grab that. I said, oh, thanks very much. She said, oh, that's no problem. So I, I wandered down there and I sat there and I was like, sweet, you know, leg room. Here we go. Thank you, Lord. Big ups to you. Looking after me. Thank you. And anyway, was, I don't know, it was about 10 minutes before we were due to land the plane and, and the air hostess and her friend came back and they're sitting down and um, 
I just said, look, I just really want to thank you for, for, for noticing that. Uh, many wouldn't have noticed that and then just asking me, you know, allowing me to sit at the front. It's because I just had a knee operation, you know, five and a half weeks ago and, uh, you know, it, it's coming on well, blah, blah, blah. So she says, wow. She says, and I'm reading this book at the moment called The Love Book. It's quite interesting. It's, uh, it's all legit. <laughs> I didn't really think about it until she said, that's an interesting book. And I went, it probably is. She said, what's it about? So I started telling her and I said what I did and, and that. And she says, she says, oh, I go to an apostolic uh, church community out here in, on the North Shore. And I said, so we're, we're just engaging like this and her mate's sort of like next to us, sort of looking on and listening and, you know, it's quite interesting. And so is the guy next to me here. Anyway, the plane lands and, um, you know, people are sort of getting up and jumping up, getting their stuff. And she just says to me, she said, I probably should pray for your knee. I'm like... Yeah, you probably should. She says, she says, you know what, as soon as you said that, my ears started burning, but, you know, we hadn't sort of engaged that I was a Christian. So she's like, she says, do you want me to? I said, absolutely. So she goes, okay. She says, just step over here. So, so I'm in the front row of the plane and I step just into their little cubby hole where they have some of their food and their trays. You know, there's a cur- curtain that they pull across. So she says, just go stand there. So I'm standing there like this. She comes over. And she, she starts speaking in tongues, out loud, okay? Her mate standing there going, hey, thank you for playing Jista, thank you for playing Jista. And I'm going, thank you, Lord, thank you for the healing that's coming right now. Thank you for playing Jista, thank you for playing Jista. And people are just walking past like, oh, I don't see what they were looking at, but I, just, I looked at this girl and she was like, thank you for playing Jista, thank you for playing Jista. For about five minutes. And I walked out, I felt again the strength come into my knee again, another measure of strength again. And I just walked off the plane, normally like I'm just like this. You know, there's no limp, nothing. And I thanked her for her faith and I thanked her for her boldness to step out into this. This is not normal day Christianity. We both encourage another. But you know what? The reason she did that, because God is a restorer of people. The Father is a restorer of us physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Because he loves. Why? Because he's a lover of people. And if we want to know the Father, look to the Son. I don't know how the church has become so judgmental when you look to the Son. It wasn't a judgment bone in his body. All that came forward was love, 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 and then more love. Even when we persecuted and killed him, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing today. He truly is indescribable. He's unfathomable. And I'm just going to read a quick scripture and I'll show you a clip. It'll be that clip about the father and son, which some of us may have seen here. And then I'll wrap this. But listen to Psalm 40. You too wrote a song about Psalm 40. It's a beautiful song. And to be honest, this song is, or this, this, well, it is a song probably something that's so close to my heart because 13 years ago I was in this place and this father heart encountered my heart. This is David, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps 
firm. I love this verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. He put a new song. 13 years ago, he put a new song on my lips. Why? Because he's a lover of people and he's a restorer of people. You go to John 8, 1 to 11, you see a picture of a woman that is caught in adultery. Cardinal sin. Caught in adultery. And the linchpin have her Man, do do these guys want justice? Do they want blood? Do they want to slam her and kill her? And they bring her before Christ and they read out what she's done and he just looks at her, looks at them. The Bible says he starts writing in the ground. I don't know what he wrote, but it must have been pretty profound. He starts writing and then he says, you know, he who has sin, he who has sin there, doesn't have sin, can cast the first stone. This woman's probably standing there like, here it comes. And it says the oldest to the youngest started to walk away. Jesus has just continued to write in the ground. It's just a credible picture of someone who's a lover of people and a restorer of people. And this woman standing there and the Bible says it's just, her and Jesus left. He says, did no one stone you? Did no one bring judgment on you? No, no one. And he says, so neither do I. He says these beautiful words, go, but sin no more. What happened that day? Grace was released into the atmosphere. Something so powerful was released by love because he's a restorer and a lover of people, that it shifted something and it brought a conviction to the religious sect that wanted to stone her and they had to move away. And I believe it would have redeemed that lady's life. And when we as his people understand the grace that's been shown us and then we model and live that out to a world, you know what happens? A world gets restored through the love the power, the forgiveness, the life of Jesus Christ. If you want to know who the Father is, look to the Son. And the Son is a lover and a restorer of people. I'm just going to show you a clip. Um, it goes for about eight minutes. And some of you may have seen this. It's a story of a father and a son. They're both athletes in their own right, or they become athletes. And I just want you to have a listen to the father's heart and the words he says and the son's heart and what he says and the incredible unity between this father and son. Thanks. This morning we're launching a new series called Today's Real Heroes. Our national person, Natalie Morales, is here with an unforgettable pair, Natalie. And it's a story you have to see to believe. Our real heroes today are Dick and Rick Hoyt, better known as Team Hoyt. And if you haven't heard of them yet, be prepared. They're almost legends in their own right, and you'll see right now why they are heroes to so many. 
This is one of the greatest love stories of all time. A story of a father who climbs mountains and runs to the ends of the earth and back to give his son a better life. A life that transcends the limitations of his body. Registration for the 25th Ironman continues one by one. Some faces we recognize. Here is 58-year-old Richard Holcomb, number 214, back for a second try. He's legally blind and it doesn't matter to him. No, the thing that must occur at all costs is this time, cross the line. It's more than a race. It's a lifetime event that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. They're either going to carry me off the course or um, I'm going to cross the finish line. The stories about people like Richard Holcomb pass through this world as race week moves toward this morning. Hey, did you hear about the man who is legally blind? People love to tell and love to hear the stories. Then, appearing near the start line, where they've been before, are father and son Dick and Ricky Hoyt. There is no one here who hasn't heard about them, their story, and a human commitment that goes far beyond and far back. January 10th, 1962. We knew there was something wrong, but we did not know exactly what. <laughs> The doctor said, forget Rick. Put him away, put him in an institution. He's going to be nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. We cried a little bit. We talked, and we said, no, we're not going to put Rick away. We're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. We knew Rick was smart. We could tell by looking in his eyes. And when we talked to him, we, you know, he was paying attention to what we were saying. So we wanted to get a computer built so Rick could communicate with us. Everybody came to our house that night for Rick to say his first words. And everybody was betting, you know, what is the first words Rick is ever going to say? His mom's saying, it's going to be, hi, mom. And me, the dad, saying, oh, it's going to be, hi, dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup. And the very first words Rick ever said was, go Bruins. Dick is a military man, so he knows a thing or two about commitment. This time, he's just months removed from a heart attack. This gift that he gives to his son, or is it the other way around? Either way, it all started when Rick heard about a charity run for a paralyzed athlete. He asked Dad, and Dad said yes. all the other runners and everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last but not last. And when we got home that night Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running it feels like my disability disappears. So that was a very powerful message to me that we finally found a sport that Rick could get involved in just like everybody else. Rick is my motivator. He inspires me. 
to me, he's the one out there competing, and I'm just loaning him my arms and my legs so that he can compete. There's just something that gets into me when I'm out there competing with Rick that I can't explain it, and we're able to go faster. And it, it's just an unbelievable feeling. Rick and I love the Ironman Triathlon, to be out there competing with the best triathletes in the world, to be accepted to compete along with these triathletes. Just to be out there on that pier with all the other triathletes and then waiting in the water for that cannon to go off, it, it was just so exciting. The feeling coming down the finish line at Aliki Drive, it, it's just an awesome experience. With the crowd there, all the excitement, the noise, and the announcers announcing all that, the adrenaline just gets flowing. out there competing in road races and triathlons. He lives a happier life probably than 95% of the population. Rick would tell you that, uh, you know, if he, if he was physically able to do something, that he'd probably play basketball or football or hockey. But then he always says, no, the first thing he'd do is sit down and have me sit down in his wheelchair and he'd push me. You know, it really makes me feel good that, uh, that you know, he, he appreciates, you know, what I'm trying to do to help him out. And he'd do the same thing for me. Our message is, yes, you can. You can do anything you want to do. As long as you make up your mind, you can do it. If you have ever searched for the meaning of life, stop. The answer lies right here. By the way, Ricky would want us to tell you, the Bruins look pretty good this year. Just stop it there, guys. That'd be awesome. Incredible love. Have a listen to these words. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. If you are with us today and you haven't made a commitment, you haven't made a decision to engage and allow Jesus Christ into your world, into your heart, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you are saved and made righteous. Jesus was sent from the Father 
as a signpost for us. See, the problem is that there aren't multiple ways to heaven. There aren't ten ways to God. There's only one and it's through the Son. And we need the Son. The Son came to for us to be enable us, empower us to have the most incredible relationship with the Father. Because we have a problem. We have this thing called a sinful nature. We have in us the ability to do evil and the ability to do good. We all know it. We all know what lies within us. And compared to this incredible Father, which is pureness and wholeness of love, we are lost. And because God, the Father, is a lover of people and a restorer of people, knowing the nature of man, he sent his boy. You know, if it was me, I don't know if I would send Lily and Madley to earth to die for a world that I don't know, but God does because God is the ultimate Father. And we need to be made right. And the way we become made right is through accepting his son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Saviour, which cleanses us. It makes us pure. You can't earn it. You can't work your way to it. It's a gift from heaven for you. Is there anyone here today? And just just quickly, just pop up your hands. Just, Greg, I would like that gift. I would like to accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, making me pure, making me whole so I can enter heaven when I die physically. Anyone with us today that want to make that decision, that commitment? I made it 13 years ago. I was in my workplace, but you can make it anywhere. You can go home today and say, you know what, because God can hear you, Say, so I want to, I want to, I want you in my world. You just can create your own words. He'll hear that and say, come into my life. Is there anyone today, just last time, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay, let me just pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you, Father, for today. I thank you for these incredible people that are here today. I thank you for our family, Lord, that, that aren't here today that are incredible people. And I pray, God, as a community, as we continue to to live together, commune together, build your kingdom with you together, I pray, God, that we would come into a greater depth of knowing you, our Father. I pray, Lord, we would run to you. I pray we would feel your arms. I pray we would feel secure in you. I pray we would feel and, and know and sense in us your peace, your joy your life, your victory, your forgiveness. And I pray, God, as we continue to go forward, your spirit would just peel back and the filters that maybe some of us have today of trying to see you in the fullness of what it means to, as a father, a loving father, an unconditional loving father. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that those scales are just being removed, those filters are being ripped out through the power of your Holy Spirit. And every day, second by second, people are seeing you in the radiance of who you truly are. I thank you, Lord, that you're a lover of people. I thank you that you are a restorer of people, restoring us back to wholeness and life now. And I thank you that you sent your Son as a representation from heaven that we could connect with you. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.